Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. The Soul to Soul, right here on 101.9 Hi FM. I'm your host Rabbi Ari Kivman, and today we are talking the parsha. This week's parsha is Lech Lecha. Every day in our shiurim, we analyze different angles and aspects of the parsha. Well, today we're going to talk about Abraham's worry, the real benefits of fame and fortune. My friends, let's talk a little bit about altruism, selflessness in Judaism. What can we, I'm going to be speaking about myself, imperfect people, maybe others are better at perfection, especially those who have a little bit more experience in life, but what can we do to become more altruistic? What are our actions worth when we do them for selfish reasons? Oftentimes we do things for whatever personal gain we can get from it. And the question is, what can we do to be a little bit more selfless and less selfish? Or perhaps to say focusing on the soul, S-O-U-L, rather than the soil, S-O-I-L. And to answer these questions, let's do a bit of a case study on the protagonist of our Parsha, Avraham, and his wife, Sarah. Perhaps not only is he the first Jew, but the most altruistic. Let's think about the story. Our Parsha, which by the way, is very exciting. You know, we started off with the Parsha of Beratius. Although it started off with the Big Bang, the creation of the world, it continued into the decadence of, the, of humanity, how people have become morally corrupted, ethically bankrupt. The Parsha of Noah, last week we read about the great flood that God had to bring onto the world in order to cleanse it, even though it ended off with Abraham and Sarah's birth. But this week's Parsha, we live completely with Abraham and Sarah. And so every day this week, we looked at different angles. Today, I want to look at something that's not necessarily as covered oftentimes in many Parsha discussions. So after Avram returns from his temporary refuge in Egypt, we know that story, one of the great tests of Avram and Sarah. There were 10 tests in all. And one of them, the very first one you could say, was where Avraham and Sarah were sent off. The name of the parasha, Lech Lecha. God says, go. Where are they going to? Oftentimes, we know we're in this world, we're here on a divine mission, on a purpose. We don't always know where. Avraham and Sarah, God showed them. But they didn't know where they're going to. And I would say even more so, that the word Lech Lecha is go to yourself, to find yourself. Sometimes to find yourself, you have to go. Perhaps you have to let go. You find yourself by losing yourself in the service of others, by being there for somebody else. So Avram and Sarah are on their trip. In the very first part, they go to the land of Canaan where God tells them to go. And yet, there's a famine. And they have to leave the land. And they go down to Egypt. And there, of course, the tests begin even more so. But eventually, they come back to the land of Canaan, the future land of Israel. And at this point, the region erupts in great war between the allied armies of four kings on one side 
and five kings on the other side. This is one of those stories that as a kid, I didn't really get a proper grasp and understanding of. And that's why I wanted to analyze it a little bit today. And the Torah describes this incident. And there's this war going on. And Avram's nephew Lot, who had moved further away to the town of Sodom, now finds himself caught in the crossfire. And the verse describes, if you're looking inside the Chumash, then we're chapter 14 of Bereshia's Genesis. And I'm reading here from the very beginning of this chapter. And it describes here, that the king of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah and the king of Adma and the king of Tzavayim, so it seems in those days the kings had much smaller territorial regions than, you know, the big empires in more recent history. And they're going forth from this army. And on the other side you have Chedalomer, the king of Elam, and Tida, the king of Goyim, and Amrapha, the king of Shinar, and Ariath, the king of Elasar. So you had four kings against five kings. Now, hearing the frightening news that where is Lot, the verse says, they took Lot and its possessions, they sort of kidnapped him, and they departed, and he was leaving Sodom. He was living in Sodom at the time, uh, Lot. So when Avram hears about this, he wants to go save the day, save his nephew. So he takes a small army with him, and he sets out to free Lot. By a great miracle, he manages to defeat these kings and he restores all the captives and property of Saddam to the rightful places. Let's continue reading the verses. When Avraham heard that his nephew, his kinsman, his, his nephew, his son's child was taken captive, so Avram goes to fight and he's able to He's able to rescue his nephew. And it says that the... Let's read a few, a few of the verses here. It says, He divided himself against them at night. He and his servants, and he smote them and pushed, pursued them until Chava, which was the left of Asher Mishmola, Damasak, which is the left of Damascus. So this is all going on in that region. Still a region that is embroiled in all types of Wars, and the verse continues by Yashavas Kol Arachush Vagamas Lot Achiv that Avram restored all the possessions to the rightful owners, and also Lot, his nephew, and also the woman and the people. Everyone was returned to where they belong. So this is the conclusion of the verses describing this epic military campaign, and the Torah continues to describe how the people of the land. They were most grateful to Avram. They paid homage to him for saving them. And they honored him. And they recognized his greatness. Which again is the fruition. The materialization of the blessings that Hashem says to Avram at the very beginning of the parsha That I will, that you will have a great name. I will bless you. All the blessings that we read at the very beginning of the portion. Here he's becoming quite famous. His reputation is growing. So immediately after the story we're told that God appeared to Abraham in a vision. Let's go to chapter 15 in this week's Parsha, Lech Lecha. What does the chapter begin with? It says, 
Achar hadevarim ha'ele after these matters, after these incidents, ha'yadvar Hashem al-Avram b'machazaleim that God's vision came to Avraham, uh, God appeared to Avraham in a vision saying, Altira Avram, do not fear Avram. Anochi magin lach, I am your shield. Sacharcha harbe mehod, your reward is exceedingly great. Now just to look at these words, Altira, do not fear Avram. This is like a, a, an assurance, right? Evidently, Avram was worried about something, but what was Avram worried about? He had already been shown so much kindness by God. He was tremendously successful. He was victorious in this battle. He amassed great wealth. He became famous. He achieved tremendous fortune. He miraculously survived these fierce battles. So what was Avram afraid of? And so my friends, the Medrash explains that it was precisely all this kindness from God that caused them to worry. He thinks about every situation. He's thrown into the fiery furnace, he was saved. He engages with these kings in battle, he was saved. He says, perhaps I received my reward in this world. And the Medrash says, Avram was worried about his reward in the world to come. So God says, don't worry. Don't you worry about a thing. God says, I am your shield. I will protect you. All I've done for you in this world, I have done gratis. Your reward is in the world to come. That reward, don't worry, it's still there still awaits you. So in Avram's view, true reward takes place not here in this material, physical world, but in the world to come. And any reward that he receives in this world doesn't come close to that future reward that awaits one in the heavenly realm. So upon seeing how he just won over the kings so miraculously, and how he merited to see so many blessings in his life, Avram began to worry that that was the extent of his reward. If he was receiving his reward in this world, perhaps that was a sign that he shouldn't expect anything in Alam Haba in the world to come. So that's why God says, don't worry Avram. Everything I've given you until now was basically a bonus. It's not going to be counted towards your true reward that you're going to receive in Alam Haba in the world to come. The only problem with this story is the overall attitude that it reflects. Avram was worried about not getting his due reward. Was that really the goal of Avram's devotion, just to get paid? Isn't it a basic Jewish principle to serve God for God's sake rather than do it for the reward? Don't we know the famous Mishnah on Pirkei Avos, Antignos Ishochel tells us very famous teaching. Shrek even has a song. Alright, maybe they'll play Shweki just now. But he says, don't be like those servants who serve their master for the sake of reward. But rather, 
be ka'avadim amasham shenazarav shaloyam anas the kabapras. Not like the servants who are there for the reward. The imayra shamayim aleichem, let the fear of heaven be upon you. And in fact, Rambam elaborates on this, on this sort of thought process that the Mishnah warns of. And Rambam says, Al Yoimaradim, a person should not say, Ireni Oise mitzvah zui, I'm doing this mitzvah, I'm studying this Torah for the sake of the reward. All the blessings that are in it. A person shouldn't say, I separate myself from the sins of the Torah, that the Torah warns me against, so that I'll be saved from the curses on the Torah, that I won't wind up in purgatory and all that. That's not the way we do it. So if that's the case, how did Avram miss this point? I understand he came before the Mishnah and before Rambam, but we understand Avram to be such a great personality. How could someone of his stature had been so concerned seemingly with his reward to ask God if part of his payback would be missing. Of course, this is Medrash, but if the Medrash, which is here to teach us lessons, why would the Medrash tell us this? And the truth is it gets even more perplexing when we read that Rambam tells us that, you know, he says, he gives an example of someone who did serve God in an ideal manner. And who does Rambam give us such an example? Guess who? None other than Avram Avinu. So if that's the case, it appears that Avram is really doing the right thing. But from this Midrashic interpretation, it seems like he's worried about his reward. So what's going on here? Is the Rambam talking about the same person who the Medrash says is worried about his reward? How did Avraham, the gold standard of altruism, how does the Medrash try to portray him in a way that he seems to forget something about serving God with love? He's worried about his reward. Very famous Hasidic personality, Rabbi Isaac Humler, he has a book, Sefer, called Chana Ariel on the Parsha. And there he talks about this. So what's the meaning that God says to Abraham, don't worry, I am your shield, I will take care of you. We read it in our Parsha here, chapter 15. And Rashi explained that this was a response to Avram's concern about the reward, which the Medrash mentioned. That's the Rambam, Rashi mentions that Medrash. So Rabbi Isaac Humler asks this very question. Isn't Avraham the ultimate person who epitomized serving God not for the sake of reward? Right? Avraham is not that person who serves God in order to get his reward. So what's going on? Why would the Medrash give us this interpretation? What are we to make of this fear that the Medrash says Avraham had? Even if he had received his reward, it's hard to imagine that Avraham the one who served God out of love would have been so worried about this reward. Something seems a little bit amiss, perplexing. Now one possible explanation is that Avram wasn't concerned with his reward in and of itself. Rather, he viewed reward as a gauge of his progress in divine service. He understood that a befitting divine service should result in great reward. 
And a lesser divine service would result in lesser reward. So when Avraham saw that God had already given him so much reward in this world, he started getting a little bit nervous. If my payment has already come in the form of physical reward, then perhaps my divine service is lacking. It's not deserving of the ultimate reward in the world to come, which really matters. Avram was not worried that he would miss out on the reward per se. But rather he was concerned about what that said about the quality of his service. Why is he being rewarded so handsomely here in this physical world? And so God says to him, don't worry Avram. Your reward is far greater. Don't worry because your divine service is so great. And therefore your reward is even greater. But in a Lakute Sichas, one of the talks of the Rebbe, I saw, he says, if Avram really was only concerned about his, what his reward said about the quality of a service, then God's, God's response seems to be off point. You know, they, they say, what's the yeshivish language? Ha'ikr chaser min ha'sefer. The main point is missing. If the point here is the quality of Avraham's divine service, then God should have replied to the point, don't worry because your service is so, it, it, it's outstanding, it's great. But from the fact that God replied instead saying, your reward is exceedingly great, it seems, it's evident, that the reward is what concerned Avraham. So we're back to our question. How could Avram have been so preoccupied with his reward according to this Midrashic interpretation? Which leads us to the broader question about reward ourselves for religious observance and practice. When it comes to reward, what is the proper way? On the one hand, the Mishnah tells us, serve God for the sake of serving God, not for the purpose of reward. But on the other hand, Avraham evidently did care about the reward. So are we to be sticklers for selfless service? Or is there any room to think about reward as well? What is the ideal way, my friends? And so, we'll be back in a moment and we will discuss the general perspective on altruism and how to attain it. Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back to Soul to Soul right here on 101.9. Hi FM, I'm Rabbi Ari Kievman. And so my friends, judging from the Mishnah in Perky Avos, where Antignos Ish Socho, he says that a person should never serve God for the reward. It would seem that pure altruism is the only way to go. That's a scary thought. Because we are human beings and we're not perfect. If we take an honest look at ourselves, are our intentions always really so pure? Even if our goal is doing some noble deed, isn't the reward per se, we often have more in the back of our head than just doing the right thing? Uh, For example, we may think about how our actions will be perceived by others. Does that not happen? Do we not wish for others to admire our sterling character traits, our stellar work ethic, our devotion to our families? Do we not appreciate the the comments, the compliments that people make about us? And the same could be about our religious 
devotion? Do we always pray and sway and study or show piety for all the right reasons? Do we ever reckon with others' perceptions of our deeds? Anyone want to give an honest response to that? And then, of course, there's the gratification aspect. Perhaps we just simply find that when we donate charity or studying Torah or coming to Shul, we find that gratifying. Is it possible then that we do these things not only because they're the right thing to do, but because they make us feel good? Because they allow us to feel the pride of being good Jews? Not that feeling good is a bad thing, but it is, after all, a form of self-interest, no? But the Talmud tells us that even if we get caught up with this kind of self-interest, we shouldn't write off the good things that we do. We shouldn't see it as worthless, God forbid. Rather, we should do the best that we can and try to improve ourselves until eventually we'll master the art of serving God altruistically. And this, the Talmud tells us, a person should always occupy themselves with Torah. With Torah and mitzvahs. Even if you're doing it, not for the right reasons. You're doing it for the self-gratification. You're doing it for the good feelings you get out of it. Or what people will say. Or whatever ulterior motive you have in mind. You know why? Because the Gemara says, Because even if you do it not for the right reason, Ultimately, it will be done for the right reason. And this is something that's discussed in Shulchan Aruch. And the Alter Rebbe, he codifies this statement. He says that even if a person's intentions are completely selfish, you should still, nevertheless, go along and do the good things that you're doing because ultimately it will come, you'll do it for the right reason. So of course the ideal way to serve God is altruistically. But if a person is honest, we're honest with ourselves, and we realize that I'm not doing it for the right reason. Still, he says, Shulchan Aruch, don't be deterred. Because eventually, you'll get a little older, you'll get a little wiser. You'll find motivation to study Torah and to do mitzvahs and to be kind and generous and caring and sensitive. And all the wonderful things you do, you'll do it because God wants you to do it. Not just because of the fuzzy good feeling that we get out of it. So this is the basic meaning of that the idea that it says in the Mishnah, that service of God, service not intended for God's sake, will lead to the service, the idea that it ultimately will be for the good, for God's reasons. Because that a non-altruistic mitzvah will eventually lead to an altruistic mitzvah. Right now, maybe the mitzvah, it, it's not that amazing. But do it anyway because it's part of the path that will lead you to do a mitzvah that is amazing. So according to this explanation, and by the way, I was talking to somebody, a doctor, who told me he was religious before he believed in God. Why? He said he wasn't, he was about Shuba. He became religious later on in his life. But he became religious before he fully believed, before he was fully committed. Why was that? And he tells me because he really envied and wanted to experience in his own life. He would go to rabbis' houses for Shabbos dinners and he enjoyed a Shabbos dinner with the families. 
gets together and enjoys a meal and everybody's in each other's company and there's beautiful conversations and melodious songs and delicious food. He said there was something enviable about that. Parents learning with their kids. He loved the idea of the Avosubanim, the parents learning with their children together in the community. Everything about that, there was just something attractive and it struck a chord in him. And he said to me, he became religious even though inside he wasn't yet religious. Today he says he believes fully. He's a fully committed Jew but he says when he would come to Shul to Daven, he wasn't really coming to Daven because he didn't fully believe. He came to Shul because he just enjoyed that atmosphere. Whether it was the social element or the moments of silence, of meditation, of contemplation, there was something about it that was attractive to him. He says now he's a fully believing Jew. And to me that, that's a, a, a perfect example of Lailishma. He didn't do it because of the altruistic reason of doing a mitzvah, serving God. He did it because there was something enjoyable to him in this lifestyle. And that's why he joined the firm lifestyle. But ultimately, he became truly firm. He became a real believer. So what the Shulchan Aruch is telling us is, even if you're not doing it for the right reasons, do it anyway because it's part of the path that's going to re- lead you to do it for the right reasons. So based on this idea, the words, that from... The wrong reasons will come to the right reasons. We can understand the, this idea, the word mitoich to mean from. But reading this beautiful talk of the Rebbe, page 50 in fact, right here. He provides a profound and deeper explanation. And he says, don't think that your current non-altruistic mitzvah is an empty action and only a means to an end. But rather, the Rebbe explains, even within your current imperfectly intentioned mitzvah, there exists right now, as this doctor was joining Judaism without even believing in it, there's a kernel of true altruism. The, if you just look at these words, mitoch shalalishma balishma, we can understand the word mitoch in a literal sense. Mitoch means within. Within your imperfect mitzvah, is a kernel of perfection. Even though you think that it's not there, I'm doing it for the wrong reasons. But the Rebbe says that at your very core, the fact that we exist, we're indispensable to God's plan, the fact that you have a Yiddish and a Shama, you have that Pintalid, it means that deep inside you, the part of us that we described in last week's Parsha and the previous week's Parsha, that is our divine existence. That we're all created in the divine image. That's our soul. That's untainted. That's godly. That's a chelik alikam imam mamash. It's an actual part of God. That soul really wants nothing more than to fulfill God's will. Not for any personal or side benefit. Only because that's what God wants. But we all know the soul is stuck in a body with an animal soul as well. So remember the difference. The animals focused on soil, S-O-I-L. It's about the ego, self-centeredness. What can I get out of things? Whereas the godly soul, S-O-U-L. What can it do for somebody else? So, whereas the animal soul is soil-oriented. It's about what personal benefit am I gaining from this situation? But does that external desire for personal benefit mean that inner pure desire of my neshama, the pintaliyat of my godly soul doesn't exist? Of course not. So 
This idea that deep down we wish to do the right thing is discussed in halacha. Now, very strange where I'm going to pull this from because the idea is found very much in Jewish law, in the laws of divorce. Halachically speaking, a woman cannot be divorced from her husband without his consent. And you know the process, the procedure, he has to write her a get, and that get has to be willingly, so the get is written at the base in, and the get has to be willingly given from the husband to his wife in order for it to take effect, in order for the divorce to occur. So what are we to do in a case when in all objectivity the husband should give the get, but unfortunately he's stubborn and refuses to do so. So the halacha, this is a matter discussed in halacha, and believe it or not, I'm not in any way condoning or promoting violence, and nor does halacha do so. But the halacha says that if the husband refuses, then he can be forced. Yep. So obviously the husband is cooperating in most cases, I think, when it's realized that for this marriage has to be terminated and the relationship dissolved. It's understandable. Both parties, both husband and wife come to the party and work it out. But if the husband's refusing in the halacha states, you can force him, you can coerce him until he is willingly, willfully giving that divorce. So here's what the Gemara is saying. As a Jew, the husband's deep-rooted desire to do the right thing is there. He has a neshama. His neshama wants to do the right thing. But unfortunately, we also have an animal soul. And that is soil-oriented, S-O-I-L. And he's focused on his own mishigas. And therefore, he's, he's not cooperating. Therefore, in this situation, he doesn't consent. He's not being... So what happens now? He's he's forced. Maybe they beat him to a pulp. Who knows what they did to him? So how can you say that he's willfully doing it? So the Rambam tells us, you know something? That deep down, he really wants to do the right thing. Even if 10 minutes earlier, he was swearing by all that, you know, he, he would never give in, never capitulate a concede. But ultimately, deep down, he really wants to do the right thing. Now, by this very same reasoning, we could say that even if externally a person's desire is respect and fame and fortune or whatever else they're going to get, any other kind of benefit, that's what motivates them to do the right thing. Internally, he really wants to do the right thing for the right reason. And his actions are considered valid and worthy. You know, there's a famous story about a person who once came to the Rebbe and he had a question said in the Talmud, I think, uh, which, which, uh, tracted is it? Forgetting maybe Chagiga. And it says there that all Jews are filled with merit like a pomegranate's filled with seeds. It says, Afilu Yisrael, even the greatest sinner. So the man said he had a question. How could a sinner be filled with merits He's a sinner. The Rebbe looked at him incredulously and said, I don't understand your question. I also have difficulty with this passage in the Gemara. But it's the opposite direction. If the Torah is saying 
that these people are full of mitzvahs, kirima, like a pomegranate is filled with seeds. How could they, how could it be that they are Poshe Yisrael? How could they be considered sinners? How could a person with so many merits commit a sin? So my friends, we'll continue our discussion. We'll see how the concept of the true desire deep down inside of us can be connected with understanding Avraham's concerns and what lessons we can learn from all this. We'll be right back. High FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back to Soul to Soul right here on 101.9 High FM. I'm your host, Rabbi Ari Kievman. So far, we learned that at the core of every non-altruistic deed, there is a kernel of altruism. Now, if so, my friends, there are three components to such a deed. Number one, there is the good deed itself. Number two, there's the core desire of the soul to do that deed for God's sake. And number three, there is the more tangible external desire for some kind of reward, a benefit that I'm going to get from what I do. In other words, for the average person, the fact that a good deed may bring with it reward is really a distraction. Being a big scholar, or giving a lot of charity, may well earn us respect and admiration, and maybe even fame. Who knows? Maybe if we give enough, people will start to ask us for advice, right? These thoughts only distract us from our real purpose in doing these things for the right reason. The distraction is the result of our natural perception of what reward is, what what purpose it serves. But it doesn't have to be that way. You see, reward, benefits, can be looked at in two different ways. Let's discuss. Typically, we look at reward and benefits either as something that's bestowed upon a person by God in return for the divine service. In the case of reward, or as a, a natural benefit a person gets to experience for doing some good deed. You, know, you feel good, get respect, whatever it comes with. So from this perspective, and it's only natural to view things this way, reward will be a distraction. Right? Carrying with it the risk of acting for the reward, for the benefit, rather than for the cause. Why are you doing this mitzvah? Why are you helping somebody? Are you helping them because they need to be helped? Or are you helping them so people will say what a nice person you are because you help other people? But then you have a person like Avraham. In his own eyes, Avraham was a non-entity. He and Sarah Imenu, they just cared about serving God. As far as they were concerned, whether you know his deeds and any reward or benefit that might come with them were all elements of serving God. The reward was part of his way of gauging the way he served God. Not the reward that he's getting at it. So automatically for Avraham Avinu, reward wasn't something for him to receive in return for his service. Rather, the reward was part of the divine service. Now, you're wondering, how could reward be part of divine service? Isn't reward something, isn't it a distraction as we're saying? But that was, a, that was the amazing thing about Avraham. Out of his concern, his devotion to God, he figured out a way to perceive reward, not as a distraction from the goal, but rather it's part and parcel of serving God. He did it. This is the way he did it. Avram knew that if he'd receive reward and everyone around him would see how richly he was rewarded, 
it would be clear as day that God is true and that serving Hashem is the correct way. He was, after all, the one who was teaching the world about monotheism. So what better way is there a way to demonstrate, to illustrate to the people around him, it's worthwhile to recognize and to serve Hashem. Certainly, Avram wasn't concerned with brownie points or a comfortable palace in the world to come. Rather, for a committed servant like Avraham, a greater reward was a chance to show other people just how true and righteous God was. That was Avram's perspective. When we see a truly noble and righteous person who isn't running after fame or fortune, but nevertheless succeeds financially and is respected, is honored, he's loved by all those around him, something clicks. We see certain individual and physical, you see the spirituality and you see the physical completeness in that person. What does that happen? That creates what we call a Kiddush Hashem. God has shown for all to see that righteousness is a correct path and a path that will bring one physical and material good in the most obvious ways. So this is the kind of reward, as the Rebbe explains, that Avram was looking for. His quest for reward was not self-centered. It wasn't S-O-I, what am I getting out of all this? It didn't reflect a lack of altruism in Avram and Sarah. It was, what was his reason? For what purpose? It was one more part of Avram's overall drive to create more Kiddush Hashem. That more people will be attracted to this lifestyle to serve God. That it's worthwhile. So hopefully now that we can understand Avram's wish for reward. The reward itself being altruistic. Hopefully we can understand God's words to Avraham at the beginning of his journey. When we left, when he left behind his previous life and he became, he went on this journey. God sent him off. What happens there? What does God say to him? Lech lecha. Go forth, me'artzecha. From your land. Mimeladetecha. From your birthplace. Mibesavicha. From your parents' house. Ela aretz asharareka. To the land that I will show you. And what does God promise him with it? Ve'ezcha legoi gadol. I will make you into a great nation. Vavarechecha. And I will bless you. Vagad lashmecha. I will make your name great. Ve'ebracha. And you will be a blessing. What are all these blessings for? Would Avram not serve God without these blessings? What was the purpose of this journey? We might think the main purpose of this journey was spiritual. First Jew embarks on a historic mission to introduce monotheism to the world. That's what Avram and Sarah did. His goal is to affect a profound shift in the world's perception of creation and existence. Avram and Sarah are to introduce a code of ethics and morality that will shape civilization for all time. But what happens? What does God promise Avraham when trying to convince him to take up this mission? God says, I'll make your name great. I'll bless you. You'll, you'll be all these rewards. Is that really what Avram's looking for? Is Avram looking for fame? For fortunes. Says the Al-Sheikh. V'agad l'shmechi. You know what it means to make your name great? He asks this question. How could it be that Avram would be concerned with all these materialist, materialistic blessings? 
So, if you're talking about an ordinary person, I guess it's indeed a question. But had God been addressing someone for whom monotheism and personal grandeur were two separate things, then all these promises seem absurd. But Avram was entirely dedicated to the cause. In his eyes, he had absolutely no identity other than he was God's instrument here in the world, fulfilling a divine mission and purpose. So for Avraham, what does it mean by God Lashmachi, your name will be great? It didn't mean personal grandeur, fortune, fame. It meant more grandeur for the one whom he represented. Let me read it to you in the words of the Rebbe. He said, Since Avram himself was completely subservient to God. What does this mean? Avram does everything for God's sake. Avram saw the promise of physical wealth and riches for what it was. Not a ploy to get him to do the ultimate spiritual job. Not an incentive. But a fundamental part of the job. Proof to the world of the job's importance and truth. Just as Avram perceived himself, not as a personal entity, but as a means of furthering God's mission. Avram viewed reward not as a personal gain, but as a very way to prove his message to the world. God is the true God. Serving Hashem is the ultimate ideal for mankind. An ideal that will result in both spiritual and material good for everyone. And so he was a living example of it. So to Avraham, the reward, the riches, was part of the mission itself. Avraham was on a high fire, a, high, a far higher plane than, than most mortals are. We, we can't even imagine ever reaching such a lofty place. But I think there's still an important lesson that we could all learn from him. And that is, yes, it's true, we might be imperfect. By default, we're prone to whatever behaviors that we do. Unfortunately, I'm in West Park too often and part of the funeral service. We say, ain't tzaddik baretz ashiyat the King Solomon's famous words. There's no righteous person upon this earth who does only good and never sins. Yet, we should still act righteously anyway. Because deep down in our soul, our intentions are pure. The fact that we may be distracted by how we feel, what I'm getting out of this, that's just, that's the, that's external, that's superficial. If we focus on our true real selves, deep down we want to do the right thing. But Avram adds, adds even a, a deeper dimension to this picture. Don't think that the reward and benefits that you may want are entirely illegitimate distractions from a legitimate and important goal. Because in truth, Reward, whether it's honor, wealth, or whatever else, also have at their core an important purpose in our spiritual mission, as Avraham Avinu taught us. So not only does an individual have a kernel of altruism in every deed that we do, from our ulterior motives will come to an altruistic way of serving God, but even the non-altruistic part of our deeds the fame, the fortune, all that stuff that perhaps we seek, that even itself is altruistic too.
Because if a person does not receive them and make the proper use of them, then, you know, if we, if we realize the blessings we get will create a Kiddush Hashem, that people will say, wow, look at this individual, the goodness, the kindness they do, and how God rewards them. Just because I feel that I want fame and fortune because they're fun things to have, deep down at the core, fame and fortune are also important. Because don't forget, if you're an influencer, how many more people you can influence? And therefore we could say that deep down, our desire for reward, that also comes from a good place as well. And so my friends, I think the message, I hope the message is clear. Yes, it's true, we often get distracted by the external. When we go to shul, maybe it's for the social scene, like the doctor friend I said. Maybe when we donate charity, maybe we're concerned with how our name is going to be on the wall that people will say, ah, look how generous we are. When we host a Shabbos meal with friends, maybe we're looking forward to, who knows, to posting beautiful pictures of our beautifully set Shabbos table. Maybe to, to, to say, on, you know, look who I had, to show off to our friends, who knows. Maybe the compliments we're going to get from people, from all the people who enjoy the food and everything. Perhaps that's part of it. Of course, you could think about those things. But that pales in comparison to the true value of doing a mitzvah. And of course, if we were better people, we'd focus on the task at hand and do what we have to do for God's sake and not for our own popularity and reward and benefits or whatever we're going to get out of it. But the main thing is to do as much good as we can because deep down, the real reason to host a Shabbos meal and even the desire to be complimented for it, it comes from a good place, my friends. It comes from a part of us that sees the richness of living our Jewish way of life and sees the richness of all that and even the reward and benefits that come with it as a Kiddush Hashem, a way of sanctifying God's name. So at the same, you know, if we, the same is true of everyone else. We may tend to look down upon another person when we know that they do something out of selfish motives. We look at them and, eh. But are we writing off someone else's good deeds for their altruism? Wait, think about it. The main thing, what does it say in Perkevus? The main thing is the deed. The underlying real desire of the soul to do that deed. And so, whether we do it earnestly and altruistically, or whether we're doing it with ulterior motives, ultimately the good deed was done. Everything else is just a distraction. And so Avraham and Sarah, as we read in our Parsha, according to the lens of the Rebbe, he viewed reward not as a personal gain. The reward, the riches, the fame, it was a means of furthering his spiritual mission of demonstrating, of illustrating to the world that the way of God brings so much good, not just spiritual good in the world to come, but physical and material good here in this world. And therefore, his desire for reward did not contradict altruism, but it was an integral part of it. And so, perhaps we don't have such, altru- you know, the same altruism that we're describing of Abraham, but deep down, everything we do, and certainly the mitzvahs, 
even the impure motives that perhaps are part of it. On a soul level, even that is part of the mission, part of the purpose. And so, my friends, thanks for joining us here. Wishing you a great Shabbos. Carpe diem. Thank you all very much.